Hello and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs, the series where I break down a bit of the Bible to get you to look at it more. In this episode, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 11, the second half of it, starting in verse 16 and going through verse 30. Now, before I get started in that, I will note, if you hear some weird things with the audio, it's because I'm actually recording in a different room that wasn't really made to record things in, as in the acoustics in here are not amazing or very amazing, depending on how you look at it. My voice is getting reflected at me from all sorts of different directions, so if the mic picks some of that up, I'm sorry about that, but I, judging from what I could hear of the recording, I think it's fine, and I think it's doable. I'm sorry if that's a little bit distracting. I'm trying to talk a little bit quieter so that it doesn't affect the recording as badly. Uh, so that's what's going on with that. Don't be too distracted by that. Let's just get, get where we're going in Matthew chapter 11. We're in the second half here. Last time we talked about the first half of chapter 11, the first 15 verses, kind of thinking about this idea of John and Jesus. How does John relate to Jesus? Well, John is not Jesus. He's not close to Jesus. He's not near where Jesus is. Sure, John is ultimately, like in verse 11, nobody's greater than John is. John is the epitome of the old law, if you want to think about it like that. He's really, he's the highest, he's the fulfillment, he's the prophet, but he was prophesied, right? You've got nobody who's greater than John, but the kingdom of heaven, all of those residents are so much better than John is. And so, sorry, John, but the kingdom of heaven is better. The New Testament is better than the old. The new law is better than the old law. The Christ is better than just the prophet. Jesus is better than John. And so John sent his disciples in the beginning. I think that's so that they can get firsthand proof of who Jesus is. Jesus uses that to address the crowds and speak about how he is more than John. And he ends off with this admonition for everybody who can hear, everybody who has ears. If God's equipped you to be able to hear correctly, then you know what? You better hear. It's kind of your job. And so let's do that. So let's pick up in chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, in verse 16. To what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Okay, so what in the world is this talking about? Why does Jesus go here from talking about John and how he's better than John? Why does he talk about children in the marketplace? Is he one of the children? Is John one of the children? Well, no. No, right? Because he addresses it in verse 16. To what shall I compare this generation? This generation is the children. This generation is the, these children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children. I don't know if that's the same generation or specific individuals, but I'm thinking it's talking about Jesus and John. Because think about what they're saying. We played the flute. You didn't dance. We sang a lament. You didn't mourn. We did something for you. And you didn't do it back. Now, how does Jesus use this illustration? 
Because in verse 18, he says, look, John didn't do something, and they're mad about it. I didn't do something, and they're mad about it. In verse 17, they're saying, hey, we wanted you to do this. We expected you to do this. We expected you to fit this role, to be this person, to be this individual. We wanted you to be. You're not him. You're wrong. You need to stop. You need to change yourself. Right? Think about John. Is John the guy they expected? Not really. Think about Jesus primarily. Is Jesus the Messiah figure that they expected? The glorious warrior who was going to come in and rid them of Roman occupation? Was he that guy? No. Right? He came in. He did things... They didn't expect him to do it. They didn't want him to do that. They wanted him to do something different. They wanted him to fulfill a different role. And so they say, hey, well, why, why, didn't you, why didn't you mourn? We played a lament. Why didn't you mourn? We played a flute. Why didn't you dance? Why didn't you do exactly the things that we wanted you to do? Why are you eating and drinking? Why are you the friend of tax collectors and sinners? Why are you associate with those people? Why don't you just come to the good people? Come to us, right? You're the Messiah. You're supposed to save us from Rome. Why don't you just do that? Do your job, Jesus. Come on. And you should realize how ridiculous that is because Jesus is the one who dictates what the job was, not them. You also see ridiculousness in their accusations because in verse 18, look, John didn't, come eating or drinking, and there's an accusation there. He has a demon. Something's wrong with him. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And then when the Son of Man comes eating and drinking, it's almost like he said, well, you didn't like when John didn't do this, so let me do this. And now that he's doing the thing that they were wanting John to do, they now say, hey, we don't want you to do that. We want you to do something else. Why are you eating and drinking? You're eating and drinking too much. You're eating and drinking with the wrong people. Why are you doing this? Jesus is saying, look, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're thinking. It doesn't matter what you're wanting because I don't play by your rules. Jesus is not restrained to what the Jews of that time period wanted him to do. He's not confined by that. John wasn't either. And so look, ultimately you'll know. Ultimately you'll understand. Look at the end of verse 19. Why do you think he says, wisdom is vindicated by our deeds? Some translations say, um, uh, apparently some manuscripts say, uh, wisdom is vindicated by her children. Her children, I think in this case, Jesus would be referring to like himself and John, the children being addressed in the marketplace. Wisdom is vindicated by that. Wisdom is made right when you see that kind of thing. W wisdom is made correct when you ultimately see what Jesus does because the freedom that he's promising is a freedom a whole lot better than just freedom from the Romans, than just freedom from Caesar, or, or that kind of oppression. God's freedom from sin is a whole lot bigger than that. When, wisdom is going to be vindicated by what she does, by how God uses her, and by what God decides to do. We don't get to determine if God does something like we want it or not. Right? You can say, oh, I didn't like that particularly much. But it doesn't change the fact that it happened, and it doesn't change the fact that God commands us to do things that we don't necessarily want to do. Well, 
Jesus went to the cross. Not necessarily something he wanted to do, and yet he chose to do it anyway. God does not ask us to do something he is not willing to do, even if it might be uncomfortable for us. And so accept Jesus as he is. You're not going to change him. You don't have the right to tell him what to do. You're not in charge, and he is. You want to deal with Jesus or John? Well, either way, they're not going to be what you want. But one of them is better than the other one. And so Jesus is calling people to him, even as he's saying, you don't understand what you're asking for. Let's look at verse 20. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 20. Then he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on that day, the day of judgment, than for you. Do you see? Do you see what Jesus is doing here? How he's talking? How he's addressing these people? Right? You think these people are, are good? They're the people who are going to listen, right? No, they're not. They're the people who, wanna, who want to dictate who Jesus is. They want to change who John is. They want to be in charge here. And that's not how the system works. They don't get to dictate who these people are. They're not in charge of God. God's in charge of them. Why would they think they could tell Jesus or John what to do? And so Jesus comes to these different cities. He goes to these towns. He performs miracles. He teaches, and yet nobody listens. Right? They did not repent. Do individuals listen? Probably, but, but there's no emphasis put on that here. So here's the emphasis of it. People didn't listen. The towns didn't repent. The vast majority of people, or all of the people, did not want anything to do with this Jesus character because, oh, he's different than we thought he would be. He's not conforming to the ideas that we want him to conform to. He's not doing the things that we wanted him to. So we're just not going to listen to him. How do you think that goes down for them? Let's talk to Corazon. Let's talk to Bethsaida. Go take an interview with Capernaum. See how well that went for them. Because you, do you see how he describes them? Do you see how he says, look, Tyre and Sidon, right? What do you guys know about Tyre and Sidon? I don't know too much, except they're uh, not Jewish, right? They're not Jewish cities. They're trade centers, I believe, pretty powerful ones at that. And yet they got absolutely destroyed when, um, I believe it's Alexander the Great, at least, who took down Tyre. They get absolutely demolished in that combat. I believe Tyre's the one. Tyre's out at sea, and Alexander the Great built a, a, a ramp, a bridge out into the sea to be able to attack Tyre, to be able to burn it to the ground. 
right? They were in they were sieged by Babylon and it didn't work out. So Greece came in and just absolutely demolished everything Tyre had. You think about Sidon, they were wiped out by the Persians. Totally ripped off the map, right? These nations, these cities are gone. And Jesus points to their rubble and says, Look, Bethsaida, Chorazin. Those people had it easy compared to what you're going to get. Look, Capernaum. Right, look, Capernaum. What's, what's going on with you? How are you feeling about your future fate? Because I'm going to tell you. Sodom? You remember Sodom? The story from, I think it's Genesis 19. You, you remember how, uh, how Sodom went down? You're worse than they are. You're going to get it worse than they are. And they did. Right? And you think about how, how absolute that destruction of that city was. We don't even know where its ruins are. We have some traditions that say it might have been here or, or it might have been here. But we don't know where those cities were because of how much they've been removed. And that's a light sentence compared to whatever Capernaum's going to face. How do you think these people are feeling? How do you think these people are feeling? Right, if you were in their situation, if your home city got uh, called out like this, how do you think you would feel about it? More tolerable for Sodom? More, toler more tolerable for the Sodomites and that sin that went on there? More tolerable than all of their evil? And, 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 and we're going to get worse? Right? Our city is going to get worse. The place where we live is worse than they are. There's no way. And yet, in what way are they? Because Sodom did a whole lot of evil, right? And Tyre and Sidon evidently did a whole lot of evil, especially if they're trading cities. Oh, man, how much corruption is there? How much cheating? How many scales are being weighted and all that kind of thing there? You know, you think about those cities. They do a lot of bad stuff, but what? What's the difference? He's denouncing the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. And that's your difference. These cities, these modern cities, they have Jesus. These, these cities, Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum, they have Jesus. They have an opportunity. They have the ability to repent. And they choose not to. Sodom didn't really have a chance. Sodom didn't have Jesus who came and told them what to do. And yes, they were still totally responsible. I'm not saying they weren't. Sodom deserved everything that it got. It was supposed to, I mean, people know that you're supposed to be kind to the poor. And Sodom isn't. And that's why they're destroyed. That's what Ezekiel says. Sodom didn't really have a chance to repent. They knew what they should have done, but they didn't have a specific messenger who came and told them that. They didn't have the Son of God to come down, do miracles, and refute them like that. If they'd had that, they would have repented. I don't know if that's actual or, or like hyperbole, but if they would have had something, they would have repented readily, more readily than you would have, Capernaum. We played the flute for you. You didn't dance. We sang a lament. You didn't mourn. He has a demon. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. What does it matter? 
they're not listening to Jesus. They want Jesus to be something that he is not. They want John to be something that he is not. And they complain, and they don't repent, and they don't listen when they don't get their way. They are just children in a marketplace. And they're going to have to face some consequences for that. There's a condemnation that is going here. A severe condemnation. It's pretty rough for them. What do you think Jesus would say about us? Let's look at verse 25. Right? That's a happy thought to end off on. What would, what what do, you, what do you think Jesus would say about us? Are we better than Sodom is? Are we better than Tyre and Sidon are? I don't think we are. We have the opportunity to repent, though. We have Jesus with us. If we ignore him, we are definitely worse than those cities and definitely, definitely worse off when Judgment Day comes. Don't be those cities. And don't be those people who pretend they're not those cities, but then live just like it. Okay, let's look at verse 25. Look at verse chapter, Matthew chapter 11 in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. So think about this. What's he talking about when he comes to this section of, of his speech? Right, why does he go here? Why does he think in this direction? What's the connection? I praise you, Father, because you didn't let the, the smart people find these things. You let the dumb people find them, right? You didn't let the wise and intelligent find them. No, you gave them to infants, to children, to people who don't know. You gave them to, to inexperienced people who need to rely on you. Right? An infant needs to rely on its parents to survive. You ain't got anybody else to go to now, do you? But... This is your father. This is the Lord of heaven and earth. These people are supposed to go to God. You know, the thing about infants is they don't really have presuppositions, I don't think. I'm, I don't have much experience with being one. I don't have many memories of being one. But I don't imagine they come to the world with very many um, presuppositions. They don't, they don't expect things to happen in a certain way, they seem surprised whenever things do happen in a certain way. Who knew that I could wave this hand thing about and it would move? Well, a kid has to learn that at some point. Do you think the children in verse 16 and verse 17 and verse 18 and 19, do you think those children are infants who are willing to take God as God comes? Or do you think there is something different, some some other force. Not infants, not wanting to know God as who he is, but rather, I don't know, how, how do you express this? They're something different. They are the wise, the intelligent in their own eyes. They say, hey, we know, the, the scripture says this. We know from our personal experience 
this. We know that when the Messiah comes, he's going to be the one who's going to rescue us from Rome. And so, this Jesus guy can't be Messiah. We can't follow him because we know what the Messiah is going to be. Well, do you? Are you the wise and intelligent taking your presuppositions and saying, well, Jesus, sorry, you're not God enough for us? Or are you the ones who are going to Jesus as, as clearly evidenced as God? He's doing the, these miracles in these towns even. Are you going to Jesus and asking him, what should our picture of the Messiah be? Right? Do you take your presuppositions to God or do you let God form your suppositions? That's the question. Because one of those is... is infantile and lets God work with you and one of those is oh we're so mature and yet leaves no place for God if you're going to work on your understanding of God do you want to do that with God telling you who he is or do you want to do that as determining who God is and then making him validate you one of those is going to work one of those is not going to, and I'm going to let you guys figure that one out, because that's probably pretty obvious, I hope. And so he ends this section with this idea, look, God's given the Son everything, and you can't know God unless you do know the Son, right? If you want to know the Lord, if, if you want to know God, the Father, then you better know Jesus the Lord, Jesus the Son, because if you don't know him, you can't know God. Here's the problem. Here's the problem, right? In verse 26, who does, or sorry, verse 27, I missed the little, the little uh, note that tells you it's a different verse. Verse 27, who knows who the son is? Nobody. Nobody except the father. And so at this point in time, nobody can know who the father is. And that's kind of a problem. When you're supposed to, like, know who the Father is so that you can work with him. So there's, there's this difficulty. How do we remedy these two things? How do we know the Son? How do we know the Father? We can't know the Father unless we know the Son. We can't know the Son unless we know the Father. Well, um, what's the answer to that? Well, thankfully, the Son's going to reveal himself. He is revealing himself. People aren't listening yet. But in chapter 14, Jesus is going to do a miracle, and that is, I think, the first time that people are going to recognize that he is who he says he is, that he is, or well, he, doesn't, he hasn't claimed that he is God's son yet. Um, God's claimed that he's his son back in chapter 3. In, in, in chapter 14, they're going to call him the Son of God. And in chapter 16 of Matthew, we have this, this great confession where somebody recognizes Jesus as the Son of God. Nobody yet knows who the, who the Son is except the Father. Well, that's true at this point in time. It's going to change. People are going to learn who Jesus is. People are going to understand him. People are going to know him as the Son. And eventually, they're going to be able to know the Father through him. So at this point, he turns to 
basically an invitation. I mean, the most biblical invitation you could probably find. Um, in verse 28, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Why would you come to Jesus if you don't know who he is? Why would you come to Jesus and expect something out of him if you don't know that he's the Son of God? I don't think you would. I mean, maybe you would. Maybe so. You've seen him do plenty of miracles. Maybe he's just a prophet and a good one at that. But I don't really think you would come to Jesus asking for him to solve all your life problems if you don't know who he is. This may well be just an invitation for them to look back on and consider. And they'll be able to see, hey, he, he said this the whole time. The message was here the whole time. We just didn't get it the first time. Right? Jesus said this a while ago. We should have listened when he said it. Because you're going to notice nobody follows him from this. Nobody actually comes to him. Nobody takes up his yoke at this point. That hasn't happened yet. No one knows who the Son is. But that's going to change. And that's going to change soon. So that's where we'll leave off for this week. That's where we'll um, leave off for the moment at the end of chapter 11 there, looking to start into chapter 12. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed. I hope you've benefited a little bit from it. I'm sorry if the audio is weird. I've been trying to keep my voice down. Most of the time it's worked. I can see in the recording stripes that maybe uh, there might be some echoes and weird reflections and stuff in, in some particular points, especially when my voice gets a little bit louder or a little bit higher. So I've tried to avoid that, but I've just done the best that I could do today. Um, let me know if this makes it un, like not listenable. If it does that, I can work out something else. If it makes it, if it doesn't make it unlistenable or it even might make it more listenable, I'd be glad to do it in here again. This is a bit of a convenient location. It just sounds a little bit weird from this, from like this room structure. And so if it bothers you, let me know. If it doesn't, then I might just keep doing it here. That is up to you. I just need to be told about it. So, um, thanks for listening. I don't think I have anything else. Um, I'll see you next week in Matthew chapter 12. Thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed. Hope you've benefited. And I'll see you on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.